Okay, so years ago, so where I grew up, it wasn't a big churchy area. And uh, so when someone asked me to talk Jesus, I would call it seven minutes with God. And they would usually give me the full seven minutes. One time, uh, my wife's family reunion, the uncle set me up with all the cousins and said, Ted, would you, it's Sunday morning, we're not going to go to church, would you give us a, a, a word from the Lord? It's like, oh no, looking at this crowd, I got to tell you, it's, my wife said it would take her family 20 years to like me, it was 23, but hey, we're 24 and a half into it now, so we're fine, now they love me, or at least I don't see the others. So, we're sitting in the cabin, overlooking a lake, where there's a boat ready to go, and now these people have to sit down and listen to me talk about Jesus. They were not excited. We did seven minutes with God, and the greatest ministry compliment maybe I've ever gotten is Jenny's cousin, girl cousin, said, wow, that really wasn't that bad. So, so that's not bad. That's a good compliment. So today we could cover this in seven minutes, except I think you're going to end up in one with, with a question. So let's cover this. Uh, this is uh, the letter to the Thessalonians, the city of Thessalonica 2,000 years ago out on the edge of the Roman Empire. The Apostle Paul, who didn't believe in Jesus at all, to the point that he was actually going around, so Jesus had been here, and then uh, was killed on Roman cross, good riddance from Paul's perspective, and then was back for an annoying 40 days, and then, then was gone. And that's when his followers were like, holy smokes, it's true. This really is the God said, going to send the Savior, happened, really. We saw it all, telling everybody, really got on Paul's nerves. So he was now throwing the Jesus followers in jail, being around when they were killed, if possible. You know, like you do, like me with Red Sox fans. You know what I'm saying? You know people, do you have categories of people that you're fine with that happening to? One of my cousins married a Red Sox fan, and he's a delightful guy. Oh, it messes with my heart. So Paul is off to, to kill some Jesus followers, like you do, at least throw them in a Roman prison and let them fend for themselves, when Jesus blinds Paul with the light knocks Paul down and says to Paul, Saul at the time, why, do you, why are you persecuting me? And what, I mean, what do you say? Why? I didn't know you were real. I'll stop. And then the Apostle Paul becomes the Apostle Paul. And now he's a fervent follower of Jesus. And he's uh, going around planting churches all around the Roman Empire. Ends up in Rome. I mean, really ends in Rome. Changes the world leaves churches behind where he had started them and writes letters to them. So he says to these fine people, the Thessalonians, be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Jesus Christ. I just trust me, that's what it says. There you go. It's one verse. Be thankful in all circumstances. Now, if you're a kind of a semi-church attender, this kind of sounds like the nonsense you hear all the time, right? Maybe a little out of touch, right? I mean, you look at me, you're like, well, you know, I'm sure you can be thankful in all things. You don't even know what's going on in the world. But for the rest of us, so there's some old man wisdom. Paul is writing this while he's in prison, by the way. That's why he's got time to write letters. So that's pretty good. Paul seems to be living it. And we all know some optimistic people who are pretty positive and thankful. When I got done with my minister training, they had me take this psychological test to see how nuts I was. And it came back strong on everything except the lady said, Ted, you are so positive in all things. Isn't that what the Bible says? 
you are so positive in all things, you come across as naive and maybe a little dim. <laughs> so maybe, maybe there's a happy medium to the natural cynicism some of us have and the optimism that Paul is calling us to, but we want to be grateful. We want to be reminded, take the time to notice that there's good things, otherwise we focus on the negative things and then we're worried about it and then it works out and then we forget all about it and, and on we go. So we wanna take the time to be to have gratitude. And th here's the key for our Western culture mindset. It's not that we have everything we want because we don't. In fact, the Stanford Happiness Study says if you get everything you want, you're not gonna be happy. So it's not that we have everything we want, it's being, gra uh, being grateful for what we already have. Because we want to have big goals for the future. But we also have to be thankful for what we have. So that's great. We can, uh, we can forget all that we have when we take too long to do the inventory. You ever done the inventory? What's good about my life? What can I be thankful for? We can stretch that out and go a long time to eat, but uh, you can walk. That's good. Not everybody can. You can eat. That's good. Not everybody has all they want to eat, as we have the rustling of chips, right? It's really hard to be thinking about those who don't have enough to eat. There's a, a measure of health that all of us have. We hopefully all have a home. There was uh, at the kids' school, we have an eight-year-old, and one of our dear friends had an incident that kind of cut into my dad credibility. I always promised the eight-year-old, lightning can't hit a house that's built so that there's a, there's, it's a light, it, don't worry about the lightning, it's a little crazy, just enjoy it. Well, the kids' house got hit by lightning and burned the thing down. So, kind of cut into my dad credibility, well, usually it doesn't happen. But you know what? That family is now our favorite homeless people. So, right? There's benefits. Not the guy's trash I didn't get to yet out, out front. You have a home. Here's one for those of us who have reached a certain, certain age. Well, even if you're younger, but you have survived to get to this point. Those of us that are at a certain age, we could give you some instances in life where things broke a little bit different, we wouldn't be here. But even the youngers, the youngers. It's still amazing that, that you're here. You, uh, I don't think I've ever been, oh, that's not true. I have been fired. Uh, in college, I had one of those phone call, phone call jobs. You call everybody, right? And, and one lady said, well, I don't want to buy whatever nonsense you're selling. But uh, my husband just went to the store, and um, I'm cooking a pie, and he's going for the ingredient we ran out of. And so I've got 45 minutes. You want to chat? So I talked with her for 45 minutes. It's delightful. What a lovely lady in Arkansas or someplace. I don't know. Not a part of the country I know that well. I was excited to hear from her. And the next day I went in and they said I'd been screened. And I said, well, all right. And I went to go back to work and they said, no, no, you've been screened. Okay. It took me a while because, you know, I'm a little dim. But eventually I realized, oh, I've been fired. And they said, oh, no, no, no one around here gets fired because it's all very positive. So I'm not fired, but I can't go back to work, and my final paycheck is ready for me because you've been screened. Okay. All right. So I had the rest of the Saturday to myself. So I have been fired, and there have certainly been times when I wasn't hired. Isn't that the same for you if you want a job? There are times maybe you've been fired or screened or 
not hired. You've had romances that died sometimes before it ever started. If you've ever been hungry, tired, or scared, it may have slowed you down, but it did not kill you. We want to have gratitude for what we have because we keep looking at what we don't have or what we think others have. An old guy friend said one time, if you are focused on your problems, your goals for your future are not big enough. If you're too focused on problems, your goals for the future aren't big enough. I was whining to one of my old guy friends about life being difficult, and he was terrible at agreeing. Oh, just the worst. You know people like this? You go to them for sympathy, and they've got none. I don't know why I was friends with him now that I think about it, but I went to him for wisdom, and he gave me some, which can really be annoying. He said, Ted, you're too focused on your problems. You need to be focused on what you're excited about in the future so that you're so busy working on what you're trying to achieve that, of course, there's some bumps along the road. Most of you are pretty positive. I mean, there's a few whiners, but you're mostly in the back, so that's fine. We're reasonably positive people, but when I read this verse, and I think I've got to stand up in front of, you know, capable people, be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Jesus Christ, it just feels like a load of rubbish, doesn't it? I mean, in all circumstances? And what if we're not? Does that mean we're out of God's will? So, Jesus was pretty grateful. He's supposed to be our model. He once called the ministers of the day who didn't like Jesus because he was a threat to them. He called them a den of vipers, which I don't know where you grew up. That might not have been a thing. But around here, that's a thing, right? Den of vipers, and you just go on the bike path, and you'll see a viper or two. It's a big deal. You call them a den of vipers. Well, Jesus, that's not very grateful. Here's a, here's one. So Paul was in prison, writing, be grateful in all things. That's what we're supposed to do. Let me introduce you to Jesus' cousin, John. Christmas is coming, so we'll talk about the minister who he and his wife couldn't have a baby. Great people, faithful people, but they couldn't have a baby. And then the angel came and said, you're going to have a baby. And the old guy minister said, I don't think we are. And the angel was so annoyed, made him mute for nine months which is really the worst you think you can do to a minister. (laughs) And then, sure enough, now there's John, baby John. Mom with Mother Mary, Jesus' mom, John's mom. They knew each other. They were related. These are cousins. John and Jesus at some level sort of grew up together. And Jesus' ministry stopped when or started when John stopped. John was famous. He'd be out in the wilderness. And he wasn't, he, he didn't do the opening joke. You know, you're going to give a presentation at work. You got to start with something. One of you were given a big presentation at Raytheon to very serious engineers. And you started by saying, well, I hope this goes better than the Diamondbacks, which I thought was risky. But, but the presentation went well, so good for you. John didn't start with jokes. It's like, you people are terrible. And people kept coming out to hear him and, and to be baptized by him. There was something about him. He was an Old Testament prophet. He ate locusts. He lived in the wilderness. Didn't even live at home. I mean, he, that was his home. He ate locusts. I've never eaten a locust, but I'm going to go with no. Can I get an amen? We've got donuts after. You know what I mean? When, when John and Carrie and, and, and Ken are stocking for us, they don't have the locust bag, right? We're more potato chip people. 
John ate locusts. His uh, coat was from camel's hair, which sounds cool if you're looking at an old picture of Babe Ruth in the 1920s. This was like the camel was just done with it. You know what I'm saying? He had a leather belt, but it wasn't an Italian leather belt. It was a roadkill belt. It's, John was rough, and, and, but there was something about him. He was filled with the Spirit of God, and people came out in the middle of the Roman Empire being in charge, and, and John talked like there was still hope for God's people, even if he wasn't funny about it. He was a powerful speaker. He baptized Jesus. Jesus comes to John knows who he is. Jesus comes to be baptized. John's baptizing people. Baptism Sunday. And John said, I don't, I shouldn't be baptizing you. You should be baptizing me. And John, and Jesus said, no, no. That's the way it has to be. John's like, well, okay, you're, you're the Messiah. I'll do what you say. But the thing is, Jesus did have to be baptized by John because just like in a culture where an unwed mom was a potential for the death penalty, Mary, I thought you were a good girl, and now you're with child, and you're not even married. Mary's like, wasn't me, it was the Holy Spirit identifying with sinners. That's how Jesus was born into the world. And now he's getting baptized for the forgiveness of sins. Like every other sinner, Jesus is identifying with us. And John's like, okay, if I'm supposed to baptize you, and the baptism happens, and the Holy Spirit comes down like a dove, and the voice from heaven, this is my son within whom I'm, I am well pleased. And John the, bapti- the, John the baptizer heard all of that. It, John the Baptist, not like Mark the Methodist, Paul the Presbyterian, John the baptizer, under the water and back up. And then it happened. John was popular. He was well-known. And King Herod was in charge of that bit of the Roman Empire. Pontius Pilate, a little bit down, down the road, Jerusalem, this was up. King Herod. King Herod liked to hear John talk. It bothered, everything John said bothered Herod. Do you know somebody like this? Like all of my old guy friends, they're telling me brutal truth that I, I don't really enjoy hearing, but I want to hear it. That was Herod with John the Baptizer really enjoyed hearing John. It bothered him, but he enjoyed it. Well, then John pointed out that Herod was now married to his brother's ex-wife. Well, that's weird. That's awkward. And Herod is like, well, yeah, you know, what are you going to do? But the wife didn't like John the Baptist pointing that out. She, She was unpleasant about it. John gets thrown in prison over it. And then this happens. John the Baptist, or John the Baptizer, who was now in prison, heard about all the things the Messiah was doing. All right, let's see if you've been tracking. The Messiah is who? All right, this side a little weak. The Messiah is who? All right, very good. So John sent his disciples, John had followers who were helping him out, to ask Jesus, are you really the Messiah we've been waiting for? Or should we keep looking for someone else? Now, John knew who Jesus was, the whole baptism, the whole leapt in the womb of his mom. John wasn't really asking if Jesus was the Messiah. C.S. Lewis, the British guy about Jesus, said, the thing is, we don't really wonder if God has our best interests at heart. We wonder how painful the best is going to be. That's what John would say. Jesus was the Old Testament 
Messiah, the promised Old Testament Messiah. He fit everything. Everything the Old Testament said the Messiah was going to do, Jesus was in the middle of doing. John knew this. Are you really the Messiah we've been waiting for? Or should we keep looking for someone else? John knew who Jesus was. John was really asking because he was in prison. Paul, sitting in prison, not many years after this, wrote, Be thankful in all circumstances. John, in prison, you know what? I'm not hearing much gratitude, John. Can I get an amen? This old grumbly prisoner right here. You had the honor of baptizing Jesus. What are you whining about? You knew Jesus. The rest of us, we have to, we have to take all this on faith. We didn't get to shake Jesus' hand. We didn't get to see the blood coming out of the, we, nothing. We have to take all this on faith. We do the things, we, we pray, we, we do the best we can, and, and, and there's a reality to us that it's difficult to explain to someone else. The Holy Spirit has to make this real for us. John was there, he saw it. John, what are you whining about? Roman prison, can't be that bad. Well, it probably was. They kind of assume he was in a really bad one, like in a basement, El Chapo in Colorado kind of a thing, right? Dank, no, no real fresh air. John, be thankful in all things, John. John's question was, are you really the Messiah? John's question was, don't you want to get me out of prison? Don't forget old Johnny. Have you ever wanted something from someone, but you didn't want to ask directly, at least not your opening line? So you, you just contacted them. You reminded them that you exist. And then they'll say, hey, we should hang out. Oh, yeah, that'd be great. In the middle of the conversation, if the thing comes up, that's great. John's question is, did I make a mistake? I was faithful in everything I was called to do, and now I'm in prison. What, where did we go off the rails here? Isn't that your question? I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do. Why is, why is this so difficult? Marriage, parenting, parents, school, I don't know, learning to drive, whatever, just being joyous. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Why is this difficult? Don't you want to get me out of prison? What about me? There isn't much reason to be grateful if you're dealing with death or divorce or disaster, disease. So Jesus says to the followers of John, go back to John and tell him about what you have heard and seen. And he gives the Old Testament list of what the Messiah is going to do. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. And you know what? John the baptizer had always been really excited about that list. He just noticed something. Do you notice it? And John will be let out of prison is not on the list. And John had never noticed that before. Never signed a car contract. And then there's the gotcha. You ever sign any kind of contract, and then there's the gotcha. That's what John is feeling right now. Jesus, yeah, that's great. Let me out of prison, and I'll come do it with you. And then Jesus, instead of saying, I, I'll, I'll put a key miraculously into a, the bed of his sandal under his sock. See what I did there? That's not what Jesus said. Jesus then says, and tell John, God blesses those who are not offended by me. 
offended. Are you ever offended by God? Babies die and wars happen, and we wonder where God is. Where's God? Why would a good God allow this? doesn't make any sense to us. We're offended. And the answer is, God is right here. God's kingdom is moving forward with power. God gets the job done, but the job's not done yet. We are still in the middle of the battlefield of good and evil. So the question God gives us, it's really annoying when you ask me a question, they just respond with a question. So God's question to us is, are you in or out? What we're doing is, but we're doing this. Are you in or out? It's not accomplished yet. The thing about being married is you're, it's, a, it's an ongoing situation. We're still doing the things. It's not over yet. There's no finish line, and now we've got it. It's a continual process. Same with raising kids, same with being a kid, same with becoming an adult. Being an adult, it's a process. And sometimes we get the direct impression that God is not paying much attention to our personal comfort. Do you ever get that feeling? Jesus died on a cross. Well, okay, but what about me? And so then, it's the Bible. We're used to the kids' versions of these stories. Jesus was born at Christmas. We don't talk much about the death, a little bit. One of the poor wise men had to bring in the myrrh, to bring in the casket. You know, that's what you used it for. When Jesus was killed and they went and dressed the body, they had to go do the, the myrrh, the frankincense. Glenn, which is it? Myrrh. Yeah, the myrrh is for the dead body. Frankincense is, is fit for the king. So you're the casket bringing wise man. So he sort of mentioned Jesus is going to die. But John the Baptist, you're going to have a baby. No, we're not. Quiet for nine months. Miraculous baby. What should we name him? Let's name him John. He grows up. He's doing great stuff. Seems like it's going to end well. So we turn the page. Verse 10. So John was beheaded in the prison, and his head was brought on a tray. Well, you didn't see that coming, did you? You thought the Bible was born. What do we do with that? What do we do with this? Remember the, the wife who didn't like John pointing out that they shouldn't be married because she was first married to the brother first? She was the one who made sure that John wasn't going to get released from prison eventually. Jesus was beaten, rejected, beaten, suffered, die. And all that was the setup to the resurrection. So we can go to a funeral with some hope. The reason to be grateful in all things, sure, we should do the old man advice and take an assessment of what we have versus what we want and be thankful for what we have and what we're still striving for. All that is great. But there's only one reason to be grateful in all things. And it's not our circumstances. I know some of you are dealing with some crazy stuff. Somebody's not here today because he woke up a few weeks ago on Monday. He's fine on Sunday. He woke up legally blind in one eye. You've only got two of those things. That's a concern. So far, they put him through all the tests, and they've come back with, we don't know. Okay, but still can't see. Focus on the other eye. Okay, but in all circumstances, we're supposed to be thankful. We live in a battlefield of good and evil. 
The promise is that God wins. The reality is not yet. That's probably why Catholics use the real wine for communion. Can I get an amen? Getting, hey, you're in line twice. And a good Catholic goes to church every day. Can get behind that. The reason for gratitude is Jesus. And it's not some kind of simple pie in the sky. The answer is always Jesus. Our kids go to a, a Christian school, and this week it was speech meet. And in between the kids getting up and doing their speeches and then sitting down, and the next one, the judges are in their back, and they're writing down their notes. So there's a little pause. So somebody's in the room, work in the room. So we're sitting in this with the second graders. And the, the mom that's up there trying to keep the kids in line a little bit, she's telling, she's got a joke book from the Bible. And so she does the joke. It's meant to be a joke, right? Where's the first mention of baseball in the Bible? In the beginning, right? The first sentence of the Bible. Okay, so it's those level of jokes, right? They're second graders. We're not developing long themes here. And so she asks some kind of Bible question, and the kid in the first row shouts out, the answer is Jesus. And the mom's like, well, this is kind of a pickle situation because... Yes, but this is a joke version, and I don't know if your dad's funny, so I don't, know how to pers- I don't know how to explain this. So the answer, how to be grateful in all circumstances, the answer is Jesus. But let's not pretend that's simple and easy. The key to gratitude is Jesus. And it seems a little silly to stand up here and say that, like it's a little kid lesson, but and I'm 55 years old, and I know for a fact I don't have anything else to offer you. That's it. The key to gratitude is Jesus. So if you're up for communion, it's in front of you, and we'll peel back the, the lid. I'm going to do it with some cockiness because mine worked. Sometimes these are hermetically sealed. You can get, get them apart. But Jesus sat down with his friends his disciples, his followers. And they thought they were celebrating the Passover, which is when they celebrated the fact that God came in when they were slaves in Egypt and beat up the Egyptians and freed God's people. And they really wanted that to happen again because that had been when they were slaves in Egypt. And now they were in the Roman Empire. And while they weren't slaves, they also weren't really free. The taxes were high and the soldiers were there. And they just wanted to have their own land without outside oppression. So they got pretty serious about celebrating the Passover when God had done that in Egypt. And they took it seriously and they took it literally and they were excited about the day. And there were more than a few people that thought Jesus was there not to forgive sin that separates us from the Heavenly Father, but to clear out the Romans. Kind of a King David situation. Come in and do a military move and get rid of these losers. So sitting around the table with his friends, Jesus took the table bread And he said, this is my body broken for you. Eat all of it. And they didn't know what he was talking about. It's like, well, Jesus is usually really good with sermons, but that was the weirdest Passover celebration I've ever seen. Ever go to somebody's house for a a holiday and they don't do it correctly? My very southern wife came to my very British New York Jew Thanksgiving one time, she was concerned. 
If I hadn't already gotten her to sign the paperwork, she may have been out. She, she reached over, she leaned over one point and said, where are the yams? What are yams? She said, there's no beets. Well, of course there's no beets. We're here to have fun. There was a, there wasn't much. If you picture a southern spread like in a Hallmark movie, there was none of that. Joke was on us, though, because then she went out and, uh, and we were playing games and she was breaking down all my nieces right and left. Kicked one in the finger, broke it. One got smacked in the head. She got her revenge, but we learned feed her. But as they were sitting there for communion, they thought Jesus isn't doing it right. This isn't how you do Passover. The thing is Jesus was hijacking Passover and making it the Lord's Supper because he was the Lord. And the same Paul who wrote in prison, be thankful in all things, once wrote and said, don't come to the Lord's Supper hungry. It's not, give me seconds. Wow, that's not much. I'm on a, I'm on a low-carb diet. That's not the point. The point is, all over the world, when we take communion, we are joined together, being reminded we're not alone here on earth. The work isn't done yet. We are the soldiers on the battlefield. The victory is guaranteed. And the reason it's guaranteed is because when Jesus showed up, God in sandals showed up. When the Romans beat him up and killed him, and it looked like, well, this is a disaster God just lost. Three days later was Easter. And it wasn't that all was lost. It was that God was doing something bigger than anybody there could even begin to comprehend. Do we still sin? Yeah. It's the old-fashioned word, miss the mark. It doesn't have anything to do with this, just at the beginning level. Sin, I don't like that word. Uh-huh. This isn't about you disappointing God. Have you made plans recently and you disappointed yourself? I'm going to start doing push-ups, and I'm going to, eh, TV, I'll just do that. We don't even meet our own standards to say nothing about the creator of the universe and us standards. So we don't like the word sin. It sounds judgy. Uh huh. The one who made us made us on purpose, created us to be more wildly impressive than we can even imagine at our best. So when Jesus hijacked the Passover, he was making it what we thought it could be and raising the standard. Jesus died on the cross. You know, there were people there who was like, well, God just lost. No, that was the greatest victory because the worst you can do to somebody is physically kill them. And they did that. And Jesus didn't stay dead. That's got to be annoying if that was your goal. Evil was celebrating for three days, and then the tomb was empty. So death still happens, but it's not final. Sin still happens, but it doesn't separate us from our creator. Jesus said, this is my blood spilled for you. They lived in the sacrifice system. The way you acknowledged sin and paid for sin was life, an animal's life. So Jesus said, I'll do it. The blood of Jesus spilled for you for the forgiveness of sins so that when you acknowledge your own sin, when you feel it, just talk to your heavenly father about it. Jesus said, this is my blood spilled for you. Drink all of it. Would you pray with me?
Heavenly Father, we have a lot of circumstances we're not grateful for. But if we're in the middle of the story, if it's plot, if it's battle, and you're here with us and we're guaranteed victory, well, we could get behind that for gratitude. Would you meet us here in this place? If there's anybody here who doesn't know you, the ABC approach to the relationship with our own creator is A is to admit we miss the mark. We are sinners. And B is to believe that Jesus is the one who forgives the sin, who gets us back on track with our relationship with the one who lasts forever. And C is to choose to spend this day and all days that you give us on this earth acting like a child of the King. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. And everybody said, Amen.